Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and in this episode, I want to get into why I decided to do this podcast and tell you what you can expect to get out of it in the long run. Now, hopefully you like what you've heard so far, but there's a lot more to come in the weeks ahead. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. So for those of you who are listening to Better Than New for the first time, I just want to say welcome. I'm really happy you're here and really happy to have you be part of this experience. And for those of you who've been listening for a while, I think you're probably getting a sense of what this podcast is about by now, and hopefully it's something that's of interest to you. It's certainly something of interest to me, and one of the things I wanted to do today was sort of go over, in a broader sense, why I'm doing this podcast and what it can do for you. So first of all, there's really two overarching reasons why I do this show. The first one is really, frankly, selfish. I do this show for me. It's a labor of love. It's something I've really wanted to do for a long time. So I like all kinds of cars and trucks, but I gravitate towards used vehicles because, like many of you, I have a budget. And when I buy a car that's used, I can get a lot more for my money. I'm kind of cheap. I'm pragmatically cheap. What I mean by that is I don't just buy the cheapest thing that I can find. That's not really value. I look for things, whether it's a car or a new set of tires or some tools for my garage, I'm always looking for value. So being cheap doesn't necessarily mean that you're just going to buy the least expensive thing. I will buy expensive tools. I'll buy an expensive car if it's the right thing for the mission that I want to accomplish. But I do see that the real value is in used cars. And when I buy a car that's used, I get a lot more for my money. I also love the hunt. I love looking for used cars. I like seeking out the hidden gems and the great deals. And I really kind of rejoice when I find something cool for a low price. It's a weird personality quirk, but it turns out to be useful if you're trying to save money when finding something fun to drive. So that's number one. I do it for myself. Second, I do this show for you. And that's really the bigger part. I mean, I could do it for myself and do a podcast and, you know, you can just do a couple of episodes and say, hey, I did a podcast. Great. But really, the ongoing value of this is that you find value in this. That's what I'm looking for. I want this to be of value to you and to steer you towards a car or a truck or an SUV that fits your lifestyle, that is a great price, and it's something that you love. You know, a vehicle that you look at and go, you know, I love that car. We've all had cars like that. We've all had trucks like that. We've had SUVs like that. You look at it and you go, man, I love that. That thing did exactly what I wanted it to do, and it wasn't expensive, and it, it was reliable, and it was fun, and it took me places, and I went on great adventures and all kinds of stuff. So that's what I want to help you find, that car, truck, SUV that you love at a great price. Now, I routinely find interesting used cars and trucks that I think people would love to own, but they tend to overlook when they search for their next vehicle because they're not the easy and obvious choice. I'm really looking for stuff that's not just used cars, but maybe a little bit older than what you might be thinking of, because that's where the real value is. And I'll get into that in a minute. So many people start their vehicle search thinking about getting a new car, which, you know, seems great until you see the prices. You know, the average sale price of a new car in the U.S. is now more than $47,000 and it's going up. <laughs> that, that seems crazy, but the three to five year old used cars that many people tend to look for when they don't want to pay for a new car, are expensive and hard to find. 
In fact, the average sales price of a used car in the U.S. is somewhere beyond $28,000. Now, depending on the source you go to, it's $28,000 or it's $29,000. I've even seen $30,000 as an average. And it kind of depends on where they're looking at cars. But whatever, man, $28,000 to $30,000 is a lot of money for the average price of a used car in the United States. And that's a big reason for doing this. So I do this show for you, and I do this show for me. Those are the two overarching reasons this podcast exists at all. But there's a whole list of pragmatic reasons why I wanted to do this show for you, the listener. And today I want to talk about 10 specific reasons why I think this show should really matter to you in your search for a used car. So let's dig into those. Number one, used cars are where the value is. That's the first thing. Number one, used cars are where the value is. Obviously, we just talked about this 47000 for a new car, 28000 average or more for a used car in the U.S. It's insane. Nobody wants to pay those prices, right? The other thing I think people are finding is, you know, it's hard to find any car, new or used. But in this show, we will be directing you towards ideas for cars, trucks, SUVs that can meet your needs at a much lower price. And they're vehicles that maybe you haven't thought about in a while. Now, you've probably heard of them. When I'll mention something as we go along, you'll probably go, oh, yeah, I remember that. But it's not something you've been thinking about top of mind because it's not right in your face as, hey, it's the new car from Toyota or Ford or Chevy. No, these are cars that are older, but still great vehicles. So again, number one, used cars are where the value is. So we're going to go there and dig into that value proposition in this podcast. Okay, number two, used cars are typically available with a little bit of looking where new cars are not. If you're looking at all for a new car, you're finding that they're just not available. And if you want to get new, if you say, I just got to have a new car, you're going to pay a lot of money for that. You're probably seeing in the sticker price at the dealership, this thing called added dealer profit or market adjustment or some other ridiculous name that doesn't make any sense other than it's just money going into the dealership pocket. Now, they would argue that, hey, you know, we have a dealership here. We got to keep the lights on. We got to employ people to do service. Okay, I get it. But how are they making a profit for all those years selling cars at MSRP, the list price, or below? How was that happening? They didn't have to tack on $5,000 of added dealer profit or market adjustment before. So what's different now? Now, I know they have less cars to sell, and that's kind of what's driving up the price. There's less cars. There's still a desire from people to buy cars, and, you know, they can charge more for them. But you don't want to be part of that problem. You don't want to be putting some dealership's kid through Harvard. So don't be part of that problem. Just don't buy new. Focus on used cars because they are available now, especially if you want to put in some work to find the best ones, the best value, the best prices, the best cars. They are out there. Okay, number three. The real value is waiting to be unlocked in older, less trafficked used cars and trucks and SUVs. That's where the real value is. It's easy to find cars and trucks that are two to three years old. You're probably familiar with the market if you're the average consumer. But if you wind the clock back more than five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years, maybe more, you're going to start to forget what was out there. So part of my job here at Better Than New is to point out those vehicles to you and say, hey, you know, you might want to think about this because this is a really good option if you were thinking about a new truck. 
If you look at a used truck, this one would really make sense if you're trying to get, you know, X, Y, and Z. Same thing with cars, sedans, or sports cars. There's great value that's waiting to be unlocked in those older, less trafficked used cars and trucks. And we're going to point those out over time in the weeks ahead on the Better Than New podcast. So stay tuned. Okay, number four. When you dig into those older, less trafficked used cars, trucks, SUVs, one of the things you find is that there's very little depreciation from where you're at. I'm going to be pointing you towards cars and trucks that are really on the downward slide and maybe at the bottom of their depreciation curve. They might even be starting to go back up a little bit. So think about this. Let's say you find a really nice Lexus SC400 Coupe, which is a car that I would recommend. You find one that's, you know, a two-owner car, maybe a one-owner car, and it has 100,000 miles. If it's been well cared for, that's going to be a great car. There's a ton of quality built into those Lexus SE400s that you can ride for years to come. You could probably have that car for 10, 15 years and just drive it, do regular maintenance on it, just like the previous owner, and have a great, great car. And if you pay $10,000 for it, and let's say over the next 10 years, you put 10,000 miles a year on it, the thing will have 200,000 miles. But in reality, there's 200,000 mile SC400 coupes out there now that are not bad. I'm, I'm not recommending you buy one with that many miles, but, you know, they're not bad. So here's the reality. You pay 10000 for that, and five years from now, 10 years from now, it's probably going to be worth at least 10000 maybe a little bit more, because they're sort of a neo-classic Interesting option. In fact, I was thinking about driving one the other day because my wife and I went out in our Miata and spent some time on, on the freeway, uh, about an hour and a half, two hours. And two hours in a Miata, they're really not a long-distance car. They're not bad. I would drive one across the country and just think of it as an adventure, right? But you know, in terms of being like really comfortable, the SC400 Coupe would have been much more comfortable. That's a car you can get in it in Seattle and drive to Vegas overnight to get there to gamble in the morning and you're probably going to arrive relatively fresh with really bad coffee breath, right? So again, number four, less or maybe even zero depreciation on these cars if you play it right. So that's kind of what we're going for here. Okay, number five in the list of pragmatic reasons why you should listen to this show. Here's the deal. When you're talking used cars, especially older used cars, they have less stuff, less systems that can fail and leave you stranded. I mean, what's a good example? Um, this won't leave you stranded, but a lot of cars that have like electric windows, they go bad. The switches go bad. They don't work over time. You got to replace those. I'm dealing with that on a car right now. It's a pain. My Miata has a hand crank window. I love hand crank windows. They work just fine. You know, as long as you've got hands and arms to crank the windows, you're going to be fine. Maybe a better example is... Over time, manufacturers are putting in all kinds of computer chips, and there was a thing on my former 2011 Mini Cooper S called a body module. I don't think that's the exact term that BMW uses. BMW makes the Mini, so that's why I say BMW. This body module actually controlled the headlights and several other things in the car, and it was down in the driver's side footwell behind a panel. And over time, these things, I don't know if they get wet or something, but somehow this thing failed and it left me with headlights on. I couldn't use the turn signals. I couldn't turn the headlights off. I couldn't use high beams. 
The car had adaptive headlights, so when you turned, they would turn with it. None of that stuff worked. It just went to this weird sort of default mode where nothing but the headlights being on, which drained the battery and caused a bunch of other problems. Anyway, I had to take it into a BMW-specific repair shop and have them scan it with their special scan tool. My scanner that I can plug into the OBD2 diagnostic port in the car and check for a code, a trouble code, it just it wouldn't do it. I needed the $500 or $1,000 scan tool. I had the $200 item that I think I picked up on eBay for 100 bucks, And it worked great for pretty much everything. But in that particular case, I couldn't figure out what to do. And I had to take it to somebody else and have that fixed. Earlier cars don't have all that you know, computer chips and, and digital stuff that can go bad and fail over time. I find, frankly, that newer cars start having those problems within the first three to five years. It's frustrating. You see all the stuff that you might have to do on a new car during warranty work where you take it into the dealership. <laughs> you, don't, you look at that car and you think, I got to sell this before the warranty runs out because I could never afford to pay the dealer to fix all this stuff. And you don't want to go out and get you know, aftermarket uh, warranties and that sort of thing. You're just going to be stuck basically taking a car on a flatbed truck to your local dealer all the time. And even if it's paid for by the by the warranty, it's a hassle. If you're driving a car that's got a lot of problems, you don't want to have that. So again, number five, there's less stuff to fail on older cars, right? Number six kind of falls in the same category. You can still work on used cars if you're so inclined. Maybe you want to start doing some of your own work. I really encourage people, if they feel comfortable doing it, to do that. I do brakes on every single car that we have. I don't let anybody else do that. I find it a good use of my time because I save a lot of money upgrading brake pads or brake shoes, depending on the car. But also, it gives me an opportunity to look around at suspension parts, to look around and see if there's anything leaking from when you're up near the motor in the front. Or if I guess if you have a motor in the back, you can see that too. It's really a good opportunity to dig in and get a sense of, hey, what's going on with my car? I was changing out snow tires, winter tires, doing the summer winter swap on my Audi wagon. I was basically almost at the end of the warranty on the car. <laughs> I was like, oh God, I'm seeing oil running down the side of the motor. Well, it turns out the valve covers on that car were known to sort of leak over time. I think there was a bad valve cover gasket on there or some sort of design thing. Anyway, I checked that side. And then when I went and did the tire on the other side, I, I found it and I thought, oh God, it's doing the same thing over here. There were three days left of my warranty. It ended on July 4th. I contacted them on July 1st. And I said, hey, you guys need to fix this under warranty. I think I said, oh no, it's probably just one of our techs spilled some oil last time you came in and did an oil change. I'm like, no, no, it's not. And then I showed him the video on my phone and he's like, oh yeah, I guess that has to be replaced. I'm like, oh yeah. But you know what? I would never have known. I wouldn't have known until there was like a puddle of oil on the floor in my garage. And that could have been another, you know, three months or six months or whatever. It wasn't leaking a lot, but it was leaking and I was able to find it because I was doing some of the work. So there's an argument for doing that. But definitely, when it comes to used cars, they're much easier to work on. Okay? That's number six. Number seven in our list of pragmatic reasons why you might want to continue listening to this podcast. I find that, and this is a good thing for me, you may disagree, 
I find that older cars are less isolated from the road. They're more in touch with the world around you. Again, I'll use the Miata as an example because it's sort of an extreme example. But that doesn't have power steering. It has a manual steering rack. But over time, manufacturers have started filtering out sort of road feel in a lot of cars. Now, some manufacturers like, you know, BMW or Porsche or Mercedes, you know, they'll try and get that right. Lexus, Infiniti, whatnot. They'll try and get that right. They'll try and make it feel right. But a lot of them are creating these sort of like pre-programmed feel to how your steering wheel feels. And it's no longer a hydraulic system with a pump. And you can't really feel the road. You can push a button to make it a little bit stiffer or push a button to make it steer a little bit easier. Okay, great. But you know what? It doesn't feel right. Now, over time, they're working all that stuff out and fixing it. And that's great. But I have noticed on some newer cars, I'm like, God, this feels terrible. We did a rental car. It was a Nissan Maxima. I really liked the car, but the steering felt dead. This was like two years ago, year and a half ago. Yeah, it didn't feel right. I thought, I can't wait to get back in the other cars because this just didn't feel good. So that's something to consider. It's not the most important thing, but it's definitely something to consider if you like to feel the road as you drive. Okay, this next one is, it's number eight. It's a big one, but nobody thinks about it. What is it? Opportunity cost. I'm not a financial guru. I'm not trying to give you financial advice, but there is an opportunity cost for the money you spend on a car when you make a choice to buy, say, something new. If you bought one of those $47,000 new cars, okay, that average new car price, and just for the sake of argument, let's let's bump that up to $50,000, just because it's an easy number to work with. If you live in the state where I do, there's a 10% sales tax on top. So now it's 55000 And if you can't afford to buy that car outright, if you're not going to just plop down 55000 in cash, you're going to do some financing. Over time, that might cost you another $5,000. So now you're at an even $60,000, okay? You're taking sixty k and you're just getting rid of it. What if you had found a suitable option that was, let's say, a quarter of the price, $15,000? You would have had $45,000 to put into something else. It could be a down payment on a home. It could be some stock you wanted to buy. Maybe you wanted to buy a piece of property. Uh, Maybe you wanted to take a couple of nice vacations with the family. I don't know what you want to do with the money. I'm not telling you what to do with it. I'm just saying, when you put all that money into a new car, you've basically decided not to do a whole bunch of other things that you could do with the money. Now, another thing to consider, too, is this is the second part that people don't think about on that opportunity cost. There's this huge thing called depreciation. We've all heard of it. We know what it is. But we don't really think about it. That $50,000 car that we talked about, our theoretical $50,000 new car, it's going to be worth maybe half in three to five years. So let's say it depreciates half, 50%, in five years. So five years from now, that $60,000 you spent is only going to be worth twenty-five. You're out $35,000 no matter what. It's just gone. The value's already gone. You've spent the money. It's gone. Yes, you did have a great car to drive. You had a new car. You've hopefully enjoyed it. It was what you wanted, that sort of thing. So there's that sort of value on the other side, which is hard to quantify in terms of dollar figure. And maybe it fed your ego. Maybe your ego said, yeah, I had to have a brand new car. 
I just felt better. Okay, great. And if that's what you wanted, that's okay. That's definitely okay. But you still lost that money. It's gone. If you had instead bought a used car that could do everything that you wanted it to do, and it was something kind of cool and fun to drive and whatnot, and it was $15,000, that's a quarter of that $60,000. And let's say that that $15,000 car was at or near the bottom of its depreciation curve. Well, five years from now, it may be worth the same or maybe a little bit less. Let's say it's worth $12,000. you have only lost $3,000 in value. And if it's a car that people really like, even if you're putting miles on it, it could actually hold its value or maybe go up a little bit. Now, I'm not saying it will. I'm not saying it won't. I'm just saying that's a possibility. But you definitely know it can't depreciate more than $15,000 because that's what you paid for it. So you can only lose fifteen grand on the deal, which is $20,000 less than you could lose on that new car in the scenario we just discussed. So it's really important to think about the fact that there's this opportunity cost to the money that you decide to spend on a car. And the less you spend on something newer or more expensive, the more options you have to spend the money you didn't put into that thing on something else, something that might be meaningful to you, whether it's a trip or education or your kid's graduation or a new cool looking hat. It's your money. Do what you want to with it. But the opportunity cost is something to think about. And we'll talk about that over time. Okay, this next one, number nine, kind of follows the opportunity cost one from number eight. But I'm just going to put it this way. So who do you want to make rich? I asked myself that question. And you might think, well, that's a weird question to ask. No, it's really not a weird question to ask. Because along the idea of what's the opportunity cost of the money you're spending, you really do need to ask yourself, who do you want to make rich? Who do you want to give your money to? Do you want to put the dealership owner's kid through a year or two at Harvard? Or do you want to save that money for yourself? To put into your vacation, your education, your college fund, your down payment on a house, whatever it is you want to buy, right? Who do you want to make rich? What about the manufacturer? Do you want to make them rich? Do you care? I don't personally care, frankly. I'd, I'd just as soon buy something that's less expensive. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't ever buy a new car. It doesn't mean that. But what I'm saying is, I look at this and I think, okay, where do I really want to put my money? And The flip side of opportunity cost is to ask, do you want to pay for that person's yacht? Do you want to pay for that person's summer cabin? (laughs) Or do you want to put the money back in your own pocket? And when I think of it that way, it makes me a little bit, eh, I guess I could say angry, but it's really more of like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give any more money to somebody than I have to, to get the thing that I want. So here we are. Number eight, number nine, opportunity cost. Who do you want to make rich? We'll talk about that. In the weeks ahead. Okay, and number 10. This is the last one, but this is really the the fun part for me. The cars, the trucks, the SUVs that we're going to be talking about in the weeks and months ahead are stuff that's, you know, frankly, kind of cool. Now, maybe it's not the newest thing. Maybe it's not the, you know, perfect brand new car. I'm not probably going to be talking about too many EVs, electric vehicles, because there's not a lot of value in the used ones right now. There are some inexpensive ones. If you look at a Nissan Leaf or the Fiat 500e, which frankly is one of my favorites, I love the way it drives. Uh, they're sporty and fun. They're not super quick, but they're okay. They don't have a lot of range, though. I mean, the range is from the factory was 87 miles on the Fiat 500e. That's not much, 
And over time, what's going to happen is the range will go down. They're going to lose part of their range just by working your way through the battery. And how long will the batteries last? I don't know. There's someone I've found that I think is going to be an expert on this very subject, used electric vehicles, that I'll introduce you to. And we'll talk about that in a future episode. But for now, EVs are not going to be a big part of this. Certainly not this first six months of this show. So something to consider. But the cars and trucks and SUVs that we do talk about are going to be things that were popular when they were new, when they first came out. Think of Car and Driver Magazine's 10 Best. Every year they put out a list of the 10 best cars and trucks and sports cars and whatnot. The cars we're going to talk about are going to be cars that would be on that list or would at least be considered to be on that list. Also think Automobile Magazine's All-Stars. Automobile Magazine, may it rest in peace. I love that magazine, but it's gone now. They used to do a thing called the All-Stars. It was an annual listing of their All-Star cars, and I don't think they put a number on it. If there were only seven one year, they would mention seven. If there were 20 the next year, they could talk about 20. I think that's why they did it that way. Anyway, the All-Stars, the 10 best. And this is stuff from five years ago, 10 years ago, even 20 years ago. There's some great cars out there that were on those lists. Now, not everything that we're going to talk about made that list. That's okay. There's still going to be cars, trucks, SUVs that would provide a great deal of value and fun to drive, fun to use, fun to take you camping, take you on adventures. So what are some of those cars? I've mentioned before that I'm a big fan of the Jeep Wrangler, the TJ series from 1997 to 2006. It's really sort of the quintessential Jeep Wrangler. You know, if you say Jeep to somebody in Asia or somewhere in Europe, they have immediate kind of like mindset of, oh, the old, the Jeep, you know, made famous in World War II Jeeps. But the Jeep Wrangler is a more modern interpretation of that Jeep. And it, it's something you could drive every day. It can be a convertible. You can get them with a hard top. They're really great vehicles. We're going to talk about those uh, in the coming weeks. I mentioned earlier the SC400 Coupe, the SC300 and 400 from Lexus. Those are great. <laughs> those are really great vehicles. They've dropped in price. They're going up, but they're still a great buy and a, really a lot of car for the money. I would say the same thing of the Lexus GS 400 and 430 sedan. That's another great one. The Infiniti FX35 and 45. The Infiniti G35 Coupe, which is a great alternative to Nissan's Z car. That's a great vehicle. Acura. There's some great Acuras out there. Acura TSX. Get one of those with the six-speed manual. You've got kind of a sleeper car in a four-door sedan that gives you that wonderful Honda experience of a real high red line. That's where all the horsepower is. Now, not everybody loves that, but if you do, that's a great car for you. I'm a big fan of the Corvette, the C4 and the C5. There's a lot of value there. Now, you may not like the look. You might like the look. I was never a big Corvette fan of those eras when they first came out, but over time I've gone, this is a lot of performance for the money. There's also great cars like Firebird and Camaro, Ford Mustang, that offer a lot of performance for the money, and we'll explore some of those. The Nissan Xterra, for people who like SUVs, that's a great option. We'll dig into those. Hot hatchbacks, we're going to talk about Mazda Speed 3, which is the Mazda 3 on steroids. Here's another one. Ford's Focus SVT. It's a great car. And I don't want to say they're undervalued because some sell for a, a 
decent chunk of money. But when you find some of these that are, you know, one owner, not modified, you know, 100,000, 110,000 miles, you can find a real value out there. And they're fun to drive. Four-cylinder, 170 horsepower, decent fuel economy, not bad. Now, what about the Fiesta ST or the newer Ford Focus ST? Those are great vehicles. So those are things you might want to look at. I'm also a big fan of the Isuzu Amigo and Rodeo Sport. They're the same vehicle. Basically, they just switched the name as it moved through time. They come in two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive. I would recommend the four-wheel drive, and I would recommend the V6. It was 205 horsepower in a little boxy four-wheel drive. It sort of Jeep-like, not exactly, well, probably do everything a Jeep will, but it'll do a lot of what a Jeep will do. And it would be a great vehicle. Suzu Trooper, another one. Uh, there's just so many that we'll dig into. Uh, I'm a big fan of the early Porsche Boxster. They've bought them out on price. They're going up, but still relatively affordable for the amount of performance that you get and the fun that you can have with the car. That's probably not everybody's daily driver, but, you know, it could be. Hey, what about a Mini Cooper? You like Mini Coopers? We'll talk about those. Um, various pickups, Toyota, Ford, Chevy, Nissan, etc. We'll get into that stuff over time. So these are the kind of vehicles and the kind of things that we're going to talk about in the weeks and months ahead. I think you're going to want to stick around for that. I hope you do. To those of you who have been listening and are enjoying the show, Please come back each week. We're going to keep doing this on a regular basis. I do it for myself, but I do it for you. And I do it for those 10 pragmatic reasons we just talked about. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join me next time for another episode. Until then, I'm Gary Crenshaw. This is Better Than New. And I'm really glad you came along for the ride.